Hello, this is Britstrapped, and today we've got Robin Warren from Corello on. Uh, we may remember Robin from back in April 2016. Hey Robin, how are you doing? Hey Martin, I'm doing well, thanks. Good, good. So it's been uh, quite a while since we last spoke to you, and I think back then you were just kind of coming along to uh, living the dream, as we might talk about in a little while, with, with the revenue from Corello. Yeah, yeah, so that was April last year, so it was, I'm trying to remember how much I was making then, but it was, yeah, it was within sight... And I was sort of past the point, I think, where I was burning a lot of savings. I was, um, things were starting to look a little bit better a year ago. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, slightly under a year ago. But yeah. Cool. And so how are things now? They're doing well. I'm sort of looking to hire a developer at the moment. It's a little bit questionable if I can afford to pay them and myself. But the um, business has got a bit of money in the bank. So I'm hoping by the time I've spent the money in the bank, I'm back up to the point where I can pay a developer and myself um but yeah no i think since late last year I, there's definitely been no plans for me to go and get a job which i think probably when we talked at the back of my mind there was probably still the thought that i might have to go and get um a real job somewhere rather than keep up these shenanigans forever Excellent. That's, that's that's really good news then things are going really well yeah thanks so i think we, um nick's not around obviously at the moment so we decided we'd have a chat and talk about um living the dream so to speak so yeah the sorts of uh you got we've got a few points to talk about about you know how to get started and so on and so forth based on your experience and and, and mine to some extent yeah so you've kindly put together a couple of points and some of your notes and uh one of the first things is is about how many attempts before success you have with uh with starting a business yeah yeah i was gonna i mean i was gonna say as well just sort of start off and the yeah. whole sort of living the dream thing it was just because i sort of dropped you an email and suggested that we have a chat because I knew um you guys might be struggling to schedule time with um Nick's kids arriving. Yep. Or child arriving. Um but yeah, so I did a talk in town in Bristol not too long ago and had somebody come up to me afterwards after a few drinks and tell me I was living a dream. And it was the first time I think someone had said that to me, but I just had to sort of I thought about it and I was like, Yeah actually I am <laughs> And it's still you know, it's not it's not making mega books, it's not going out and buying fancy cars, you know, it's literally making um, slightly more than enough to live on with the prospect of making more than that in future so that I can afford a pension and things like that and might not have to work until I just drop dead at my desk. Yeah. But that's that was basically the dream is that, you know, doing that from home. Um, so I'm having three meals a day with my family. Um, we're making, you know, a little bit more than we need to live on so we can send my daughter to nursery now. So, you know, we get sort of two days off a week where um, my wife can take it easy since she, we got this sort of second one brewing at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, yeah, I kind of realized that that, that was sort of the dream, really. And that was, it's, yeah. you sort of lose it a little bit. When you do. You're... I think that's when I started out and all that time ago, it, that was the, the completely the dream was to just be able to, to work from home or from wherever I wanted to work. Um, having something, I think having something which was mine as well, you know, something that I was, yeah. had built and so on. And, uh, and yeah, so that's the dream for me. Yeah, cool. cool. So how many, so we talk about um, sort of how many attempts before success. I know I've had a, a long stream of failures before success, if you can call success where I am at the moment. But how about you? How many how many previous attempts did you have? Um, yeah, so the actual amount, I'm just trying to remember, is some, yeah, it's probably far too many for me to count, basically. Yeah, yeah. It will have been, I think, about five years. There was... I mean, there's probably those times before that were as building projects, which looking back on now were fairly ridiculous ideas. Um, for me, at least, somebody else could have made a success of them, I guess, um, but never actually launching them. And the first one I launched was this site called Jobstractor in, I, I think it was like 2015. I was just trying to look up on my um, sort of blog when I actually um, did that. I think I, I finally relinquished the domain name for that the other day <laughs> because it was I, I killed that when I first started work on Corello and just stopped doing anything with it because it was taking a little bit of time just to sort of do some maintenance yeah um but yeah I wrote a blog post was it 57 months ago I started Jobstractor 2011 um so that's yeah sort of six years ago and probably sort of four or five years before I um started work on Corello so right wow and that was that took a year and then I think I did. I, one of the lessons I learned with Jobstractor was not to spend ages and ages writing a load of code that nobody's ever going to execute. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. literally, most probably ninety-nine percent of the code in that project was only ever executed by my automated tests, <laughs> which I had a hundred percent coverage of as well. Perfect. Um, yeah, and then you know the following year, I was, was that built on the side. Sorry, just to interrupt. Was that yes, built while you were yeah. working? 
Yeah, so that was all built while I was working. So Corella was the only one that I've um, built whilst I've been full time on it. Yeah. So everything else was done evenings and weekends. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, mine. I was similar. So I, I didn't. I, I was always working on stuff whilst I was working full time as well, but not. But mainly just little projects for learning and things. And then I I decided that I'd go freelance. And basically, I hated the job I was in at the time, and I, I wanted to get out. Didn't really fancy getting another job. But I'd been reading a lot of the Joel on software um, forums and stuff at the time. And so I was really keen on this idea of having a product which brought me in income. And so I decided to go freelance. And I, what I'd do is I'd, on the side, build a product. Um, and that was in 2005. <laughs> and I've got a long stream of products since then. I mean, the first thing I built was, was a website for darts leagues because I play darts. Yeah. And I thought, that's a great idea. You know, the, the website that our darts leagues got is terrible and so i did it and i built it and it took ages um building it on the side like you say and it's it's still there people are still using it but it never made a single penny okay what was the monetization strategy with well, that, that that was the there, there lies the problem there wasn't really a monetization <laughs> strategy my intention was to charge leagues to use it basically um yeah and what i did to start off with is i put our leagues stuff on there but they wouldn't commit to buying it which you know was the first big red flag, but at the time I didn't think about that. Um, and I, I put the league on. I used to copy the results every week from the site across, which you can imagine on its own took enough time, let alone writing code. Yeah. And um, and it worked really well. And, and our darts team and the other teams that, that used it really liked it, but nobody was prepared to pay anything for it. So yeah, you know that's it. Yeah, it's that thing about having a market where they've got some money to spend on things, isn't it? And I guess stuff like that where it's kind of a hobby is it really yeah exactly and you know no you think about it and the sort of the clientele that play, play darts aren't the sort of people that are generally got massive amounts of disposable income that are going to throw money at you so yeah uh, that was one of the problems as well but yeah i mean I, other than that i've got like a couple of apps on the app store i've got a, okay. win, a windows store app but none of them ever made more than you know a cup of coffee a week sort of thing so that was something i never did anything with was any kind of um apps it was always always web apps basically i think i i did get the android development kit or whatever it's called the idk and start messing around with some stuff but i don't think i ever got anything to completion the thing i was thinking of building always was like a podcast player and it oh, still yeah. pops up in my mind every now and then because all the android ones i've used are kind of rubbish in some way or another you mm. know sort of classic developer uis and all this kind of thing uh, right, so. um and just like a half decent one would be great yeah but you didn't. You didn't build the obligatory developer to do app then. Um, I don't think I ever built anything like that. Oh, I built one of those. Really? Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. that's one of my uh, that's one of my app store apps. But yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. It was. It's so is that available fun. on? Is that iOS or? Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if. It, I, I mean, it must still be there. I suppose I haven't looked at it for about two years, so I don't okay. know. <laughs> it's called Timeboxed. Okay. It was about um, basically time boxing tasks. Yeah, um, and it was uh, you know I don't know looking back now I don't know where I came up with these ideas from and, and why I thought they'd ever make any money but uh, there you go it's a learning yeah experience. you just sort of get the old uh, you get the madness don't you on weekends yeah um, and yeah. this is you know before I had kids um, my wife then girlfriend Charlie quite like a lion on Saturday mornings whereas I was quite happy to get up so I'd get up on a Saturday morning having got some idea on a Friday evening and make myself a huge jug of coffee and sit there coding for four hours and then maybe get some lunch uh, when Charlie came downstairs and then possibly carry on coding for the rest of the weekend, basically, if I could get away with it. Yeah. Um, and then sometime on Sunday, you sort of think, I wonder who might actually pay for this. I think sort of <laughs> some of my later efforts, you know, I did that. I did two days coding and then was like, right, let's stop building technology here. Let's actually put a landing page up and see, you know, if I can get people to sign up for a, a mailing list. Yeah. And um all that kind of good that, best practice. That was the that was the key for for me actually with these um with all these attempts because back then I mean I was reading p people's stories on um on Joel on software and stuff like that and it was all just exactly what I wanted but I didn't have any proper guidance on how I should do it you know and and so I was just making it up as I went along and it was basically get an idea I think yeah I'd buy that or I'm sure someone else would buy that and then start building it and the whole build it before marketing it problem um yeah and it, inevitably i'd spend three to six months building something and then do something stupid like find out that there were hundreds of free competitors out there and get disheartened and so ditch the idea not necessarily it was a bad idea i'd just dump it because i thought well there's competition so it's no one's going to buy it you know and, yeah and now you know that that's 
probably quite a good sign that there's a market there. Um, yeah. yeah. But back then, I didn't have a clue. And then it was only really from reading, I mean, Rob Walling's book, you know, Start Small, Stay Small, was a big turning point yep. in understanding that. And I'd I'd done this thing called the 30-Day Challenge. I don't know if you ever saw that. A guy called Ed Dale, who's a bit of an internet marketer type. Okay, no, I haven't seen that. But the idea was you'd, um, you'd do a load of keyword research and find keywords which you thought which, which were getting lots of searches per day and then you do some um, competition analysis to see yeah, okay, yeah. Whether, whether you could out SEO them basically yeah. quite, quite easily and back then it was a case of if you had the keyword match domain name you'd basically go straight to the top of Google Yeah, yeah. and that was the plan and so what you'd do is then you'd find an affiliate product stick it on the website and see if anyone bought the affiliate product and if they did then you've got a market and then you go and create your own products that was the idea yeah, anyway okay. And I tried that, and I didn't get anywhere with that, and it felt horrible as well doing that sort of thing. So, okay, you know, um, and I think that, you know, yeah, I, I, it's all about working out um, what you kind of want, isn't it? What what you want out of your lifestyle business, so to speak, and uh, and what you know what people will pay for as well. It's marrying yeah. those two things up, I think. There does seem to be a lot of that kind of advice for entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs out there. And I'm dubious about some of the value of it sometimes. I think sometimes there are, you know, there's genuine snake oil salesmen and sometimes yeah. there's people who are just not aligned with your way of, you know, the sort of business you want to operate. Yeah. And then there's perfectly well-meaning people who I think are offering good advice, but perhaps a lot of it gets consumed by people who don't need to spend a lot of their time reading that stuff. Like I, I read a lot less of that stuff now that I've actually got a business than I did when I didn't have a business. Yeah, absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, you don't have the time, do you? That's <laughs> exactly, part of the problem. Yeah, too busy, yeah. Too busy stuff. So we didn't really say where you're at with um, Kids Club at the moment. No, that's true. Yes, that's true. So so the Kids Club HQ has been going for like, well, over a year now um, and it's been a real slow progress, but we've got 10 customers on and, I'm, and, and that's kind of bringing in around about £500 a month, which... Um, isn't obviously enough to live off but I'm looking I'm getting more and more interest and so as as we're getting more customers on more customers are getting interested so I think my aim is to get to the point by the end of this year where I'm living the dream like you are I've basically got enough <laughs> enough coming in that I don't have to do freelancing anymore so yeah. so this at the moment is still I'm doing at the moment I'm doing three days a week freelancing and the rest of the time spent on the, the product um, so yeah so it's it's kind of I'm midway, I'd say, to, to the point of where yeah. I don't I can live what, off the proceeds. What was the point for you? I'm assuming you're there, where you sort of could see that route to that freedom, basically the dream, um, as we're calling it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when did that? When did that come? And how? Did, what did that feel like? What with the product? With this product, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really the first time I'd done it correctly, so to speak, in inverted commas. You know, I'd actually found the idea and thought uh, and the idea actually came from my own frustration with filling in forms all the time for these clubs and stuff and then talking to the clubs that my daughter goes to and realizing that they were desperate for something to help them do the admin but they couldn't find anything um, yeah. and then thinking well that sounds interesting but they'd never pay me enough money and then sounding them out about how much money they'd pay and then realizing actually if I got enough of them that would be worthwhile yeah. and, and then it was really after I'd spoken to sort of 15-ish of these clubs and the majority of them, the vast majority of them were prepared to pay an amount of money that I thought was reasonable for a product. Um, then I, that was it really. I'd kind of knew that it was, a, it was a decent okay. product that the difficulty then was, um, whether the market was big enough and I, that's still something I, I, I worry about now, but, um, that was, that, that made me feel like I was onto something. And then sort of midway through last year, I'd got the first few customers on and I went to this um, ex this uh, sort of exhibition, yeah. childcare exhibition, and talking to people there and there was quite a bit of interest and then actually signing up some customers from that who had never met me before, I'd never spoken to them before apart from at this exhibition and then they were really keen on the products and became customers. That was really the sort of stamp of approval that I needed, I think, that it was going to... It, it, it would be enough at least to give me an income so I didn't yeah. have to do freelancing anymore. It may be that the market isn't big enough to make this a, you know, a business where I can employ people and, and move into the into the big league sort of thing. But yeah. it will certainly, I think, be enough to get me there so I don't have to do the freelancing anymore and look to the next thing. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's interesting because I felt that way 
um, a lot of the way through. I don't. I mean, I didn't have the same experience early on with um, customer development, so I don't think I really felt confident until sort of you know early mid last year, really, when things started really um, taking off for me. Yeah, and I could see that. But you, the thing is, you can only see that sort of one step ahead. So at the start, I thought, okay. I'm certain I can get this up to a thousand pounds a month, you know. Mm. And even if I have to go and get a job, you know, it's a little bit of extra money. So it's it's not what I was aiming for, but you know, it's not to be sniffed at. Yeah. And then when you get there, it's like, okay, I can see a route to making enough for you know me and a family to make a living off, but not to have you know pensions or savings or anything like that. And then sort of every every time you can see sort of a little bit further ahead. I don't know if it's um if that's a sort of common bootstrapping mentality, not to sort of you know, immediately think, okay, this is going to be a billion pound business and yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or if, if it's just real, realistic or maybe being a bit overcautious, I don't know. But I, I, I think I, I certainly felt the same way. Yeah, I, I, th- I think the, that you kind of, when, you, when you're first looking at this and looking to build a product, for me anyway, I was, I was trying to get something that meant I didn't have to do freelancing anymore. But in the back of my mind was always, you know, this time next year I'll be a millionaire, you know. Yeah. And, and that kind of nonsense. But I think having been worn down by by working at stuff, I've realized that actually it is just making enough so that I can live the life I want rather than the life enforced on me is is yeah. what, what I'm after. You know, I'm not after the millions of pounds. Yeah. Although that would be nice, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although it's you know, a tricky question of them what to do with it all, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so after these sort of 10 years leading up to Kids Club, because I mean, when I, when I started Carrillo, I had... I had a bunch of rules which I'd set for myself, yeah. which I was using to Could evaluate I... Um, ideas that I had. Yeah. So I was just wondering, did you have anything like that in mind when you were looking at the Kids Club? I, I kind of arrived at them rather than had them in mind. At, at first, I was always about, um, I just want a business, whatever it is, you know, um, yeah. which isn't which isn't a consulting business, which isn't selling my time for money. Um, yeah. So I didn't have any rules. And that's quite, that's why a lot of the things I worked on died is that, I ended up getting to a point of think, realizing that I actually hated what it was that I was doing um, and wouldn't want to sell that anyway. So okay. th- that happened a lot. So I kind of arrived at the point of um, uh, realizing that I couldn't just sit down and code all day. I had to do some things that I didn't like. Um, uh, you know, Any business is going to involve jobs that you don't particularly want to do. So I had to work out. Um, so I tried to come up with a business where it would be something which I did have to do the jobs that I didn't want to do to start with, but those are jobs that I could actually hand off to somebody once things, okay. things have got traction. So that was a big realization for me was that I don't, I may have to do these jobs that I don't want to do, but eventually I should be able to hand them off. What's the um, what's sort of concrete example of that then, of like a an idea that you wouldn't do because the jobs wouldn't be handoffable or the sort of jobs you wouldn't... That's a good one. Um I can't think off the top of my head. Um, so I, can, I can understand the sort of thing you mean, and it's, it's an interesting way of thinking of it, actually. I just wonder if it would be easier to understand. Um, th- yeah, thinking... Like that was, I'm just trying to think for me, actually. You know, I'm trying to sort of offload some of the coding now, not because I don't enjoy it, but... Yeah. Um, I think some, was, one of the well, things I'm struggling with at the moment, working out how to hand off, is is the sales bit of, of actually talking to people and... Um, yeah. Because at the moment I'm so hands-on with it, and um, and a lot of it is about the relationship that you build up with the person and asking the questions, and and you can't script it, you know, you can't just write a write a script and say, okay, if you execute that script, then this person will become a customer. Yeah. And so at the moment I'm struggling with that, which which means I spend a lot of my time doing demos and talking to people, and I think maybe because the product's still in its infancy, really, it, it's things like. If I speak to a customer and they say, well, yeah, it is really great, but we need this to happen. Yeah. I know how easy or difficult that would be to get yeah. into the product instantly. Yeah, because you're doing a lot more than just sales on those calls now. You're still doing customer development and working out what the product needs to be. Yeah, exactly. And once yeah. those elements fall out, I would have thought it would be a lot easier to get someone else involved, you know? Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think early on it's easy to get put off by those things to make you think that you're always going to be doing them. But yeah. the further you get along, and the more of the features you get in, the more then you can automate that sort of thing or, yeah. or or teach somebody how to do it quite easily. Yeah, yeah, and it's got to drive you a little bit to create a business which is making enough money that you can afford then to hire people to do those things. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, or find some way of outsourcing them anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. So, what were your rules then, if you had some, a set of rules? 
Yeah, so I had, like, so that original Jobs Tractor one, um, I got a bunch from that. So the first one was not to spend ages and ages whilst my friends were all out having good fun in the sun, <laughs> writing a load of code, which no one was ever going to see. So it's just that lesson that everyone knows, but I seem to have to learn them all myself, mm. you know, of, of launch early, basically, um, and get that sort of, you know, get an MVP together and try and prove something in the market. Um, it was also, so that was, Jobs Tractor was originally like a jobs posting site um, for software developers that didn't allow, um, what was it, didn't allow agencies to post on there was the idea, which turned out no one was really bothered in, um, unless I had a load of developers on there, which I didn't. Um, so the other one was just to have something that one user can turn up and pay for, no sort of two-sided markets. Right. Because they, they always sound so great, and I still think of them now, think, oh, um, you know, it's like so I've been getting into home brewing recently, okay. and I'm getting some weird um, farmhouse yeast sent over from Norway for me, which like you, you, this stuff isn't really available commercially. You have to go to like the right valley in Norway and find a farm that's brewing and say, can I collect some of your yeast off of you? Right. And there's a group of people online who, sh- who share this stuff around and they just hang around on forums. And so I started thinking, oh, I could set up like, you know, an eBay for, you know, people who want to send, you know, um, sourdough starters and homebrew yeast and stuff like this all over the place. Um, and you think how great it's going to be, and then you've got to stop yourself and think, no, because I need to get everyone who's currently doing it somewhere else onto this platform, and I can do one or two posts on a few forums, and it'll be interesting for a week, and then they'll all disappear off, you know? Yeah. And it's just this whole sort of two-sided marketplace. Always sounds great, because you assume that the market's there using the tool, and everyone's heard about it, but getting to that critical mass is just is a nightmare, and I think as a bootstrapper, it isn't really um, likely, I would say. I was going to, you know, you're always tempted to say it's not possible, but then you know, somebody will find someone who's done it. And yeah, it's like, yeah, okay. But, the but that's the unicorn, isn't it? Is, yeah, exactly. You're probably not going to do it. And if you're in the business of building a business for making some money's sake rather than building that exact business because you really love the idea, then I think you need to sort of put those ideas by the side, don't you? Mm. Um, yeah, it had, it had to be something that was $30 a month or more, which I think is important to have something that's that kind of a value when people tell me they want to build something that's going to be like $5 a month or whatever it's like are you trying to excuse creating a product that doesn't really solve a big problem for someone mm. you know which is not going to result in them giving you $5 a month it's going to result in them giving you nothing a month because it's not really a problem you know if you can't find a $30 size problem then you know I think there's again it's possibly it is a problem they want solving and they you know it might well work out but I think again that the likelihood is that it's a problem they aren't really trying to solve. Yeah, and and um, you can do the simple maths, can't you, to work out if it's thirty dollars a month, how many customers you need to make it worthwhile, and then think about whether you, how easy it's going to be to get those customers. You know. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just following that chain, you can pretty quickly see whether it's going to be a, a hard slog or something that would be easier. Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, it took me probably a year and a half to get to a hundred customers. Yeah. Um, which at forty dollars a pop is all right, but at five dollars is you know you're not even at a thousand dollars. Yeah, we're dying. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's one of the things you know that I underestimated previously was just how hard it is to get get people basically get customers mm. and, and keep them as well. You know, if they're sort of dropping off. Um, yeah, that's so. one of the things I really underestimated actually was the ability to get customers, um, and it's not always. So, so my my channel for getting customers at the moment is mainly through either calling them, cold calling them, or doing a demo. So they might sign up for a demo through the website or whatever. Um, but there's yeah. always some form of contact where I actually speak to them um, and 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 talk to them about what they need and whether we can do it. And I, that is hard, you know. Um, I'm a developer. I'm not a salesman. Um, and yeah. I've got better, I think, over the years at talking to people in that respect but it it is hard and it's emotionally hard as well as awkward you know um building up for those calls sometimes i'm a bit nervous and i'm a bit yep uh, and so you you can't really underestimate that fact it's easy to just write down on your plan oh yeah i'll call 10 people a day and i'll get one of those to be a customer and therefore in two months time i'll have so many customers you know yeah it doesn't work that way because you have to build up to the calls you have to do a bit of research maybe they might not be there you know it's uh, it's harder, I think, than I ever thought it would be. Yeah, because one of the things I wanted to ask you about, actually, was the sort of minimum viable um, sales process for bootstrappers, you know, because mm. there's, I think a lot of the advice out there is aimed at people who are further on, 
than we are. And uh, this sort of goes across the board. But you know, it's like the idea of here's the sales process that you should use. But if you talk to that person, it's like, oh yeah, well I'm assuming you got you know seven, you know, um, internal salespeople who are calling out, you know, whose job is sales rather than you got one person who's trying to do it alongside. Yeah. Um, everything else. I I've always struggled with the advice about um, sticking up a landing page and then building a, a launch list, an email list. Yeah. And I know that's something you've mentioned as well, but um, it's basically, it's it's fine if you've got uh, an audience or you've got an audience that you can target quite quickly and easily. You know, in that respect, you could put up a landing page and then start to write articles and get those people interested. Yeah. But it, it depends on a couple of things, I think. It depends on you having an expertise in that area that means you could write these articles and people would... Um, you know, I mean, you only have to be a step ahead of the people that are going to read the articles, I guess, but um, you still need to have that. And they do take a lot of time to build yep. all that. So, you know, it's um, I've always struggled with that. I think- so that's it, because I struggled with that and I was, wasn't was sure if that was something that you felt would have made more sense for you, because very early on you knew exactly the problem you were solving, who you were building for, whereas um, the sort of the first prototype I launched and my experience up until that point um, of trying to get an audience together really didn't work because all I knew was that I was building a reporting tool for Trello Hmm. Um, and I had an idea about which market I was building for and who I was building for and the website was all geared towards that but once I actually put it out there I discovered that those people were very hard to sell to whereas there was a group of people who were um, who's sort of Corello's main customers now which is sort of agile teams who need reporting from Trello who absolutely had a problem, were absolutely doing things to try and solve that problem right now and were, would totally pay me money for it um, because they were mostly software development teams with sort of 7, 10, 15, 20 people on them. Mm. You know, $30, $40 a month was, you know, peanuts compared to the value they were getting from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if I tried to do that kind of um, building a launch list, I would have been building it for completely the wrong group of people. Yeah, you know what and, I mean? Yeah, and this is... so so. That that's kind of the problem I have with it, really. You you don't really know up front exactly who your audience is going to be, and so yeah, if you're starting from scratch now, if you if you're somebody that's been blogging for years and you've got an audience built up from your blog and you yeah. can email them already, then that's a different scenario because you've already got a list there that you can kickstart what you know the rest of your list yeah. Although with. when whenever you hear people who've got a existing um, list talk about it, they always say that they didn't really get any value from that. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't really believe that. I th- I think okay. they might they might not associate the value from that with their um with with the sort of initial list building, but it's bound to have some effect, you know, whether yeah. it's just people on their list talking to other people about it or whatever. I, yeah. I I think there must be some value to that. Yeah. Yeah. But the I mean the problem I had was I did did some research online and the, there isn't really one place that my customers hang out. Um, that I could easily target them at, you know. So, I, yep. so, so doing this, the whole stick of a landing page and then get people to come to that page wasn't going to be a goer. I had to actually go and call people. Um, so for me, th- that wasn't something that I, I felt was worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, so one of the other things I was trying to do early on to get customers, so I had a sort of about six weeks, two months, I guess, where I was building this prototype out. Um, I'd got one customer locally who's sort of the person I'd originally kind of harvested the idea from I guess um, and I was you know I was trying to get referrals from him and I was emailing um, cold emailing people and trying to get calls and stuff like this and reaching out to people on Twitter who had sort of seemed like they were sort of a good fit for the the market going up to meetup meet groups and stuff like this mm. and yeah I had those sort of visions of you I mean I don't know what numbers I was even, even expecting really but it, that kind of research is quite hard to do for, for the product I had anyway you know so I was, I was looking for mostly agencies um, sort of marketing and creative agencies who are using Trello, but it's not something they always publicize that they use. So right. it's sort of a bit of a faff to find that. I mean, you're sort of Googling and looking for people who've written articles. And I was trying to find people locally where and when I could um, and sort of get referrals through that. But I was sort of, yeah, I was thinking about it at MicroConf last year because it was Stelly Efty was talking about his um, sales funnel and what sort of expectations he had for. Um, you know how many people you put in at one end and how many people come out of the other yeah. which i think so he was saying basically 100 calls and he would expect a minimum of seven to eight deals out of that uh, and if it wasn't that then i think he would say you know his process wasn't wasn't working 
But you know, so if I if I could even find a hundred people to have conversations with about this product that I was potentially building, which I don't think I I think I would have had a, it would have been a long time to find a hundred people that I could have called. Mm. Um, I mean, he, you know, he does say you know he only expects to get through to sort of about thirty percent of those. So it's only thirty actual conversations with people. Um, but even then, you know, to go from thirty people you've had conversations with to only get seven or eight deals, and that's with a product which is actually developed, yeah. which he's trying to sell, yeah. which is not only developed, it's probably a reasonable level of product market fit. And it's a professional salesperson who's doing that call, mm. you know, and I'm calling people up with, with a product which doesn't exist, which I might be pitching completely wrongly because I don't know, you know, what the market is I'm talking to. So you got to think you could be trying to get in touch with 100 people and getting one or two people maybe interested, yeah. you know, and then, you know, again, also they're interested in the product if it exists, but if it doesn't exist, you've got to find the right sort of person who's interested in, you know, having a conversation with you over a period of months whilst you, you know, build something up. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's strange because some people obviously do it and make it work. And I'm sort of interested to find someone who's, who's done it and made it work because it didn't work for me. Mm. Um, although it's possibly, you know, I didn't know exactly the market I was going after. So mm. I, was, I was sort of interested to see if it had been a different experience for you for that reason. But it also, just looking at the numbers, it feels like it's it's going to be a lot of hard work, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, it, it is tough. I, I, I found it really tough. And I, for me, most of my customers as well are, are in the UK. In fact, they all are. Um, and I think there's a slightly different attitude to people in the UK as well compared to others i don't know how if i'm phrasing this correctly but i get the impression that in the us if you call somebody and you know you can have a conversation then it can go very quickly to yeah let's let's go for it let's do this sort of thing whereas i find that talking to people in the uk they seem to be a bit more um negative i guess a bit less likely to 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 just bite your hand off straight away there's there's a lot more backwards and forwards um that i've experienced than what i've heard from other people but yeah i don't know if in the states that's the way people talk i mean i know when my old company i worked at that was one of the complaints from the sales team there when we started trying to sell to the states that everyone was always 100 percent super positive about everything it was going to be the greatest thing ever and then it never went anywhere right yeah um and it's just you know people are more which is you know it's lovely that they're more positive people than um excited <laughs> but it's a shame that they never actually give you any money yes um, exactly. or they give you money at the same rate as the sort of depressed brits who yeah. uh, <laughs> just hang up on you so. yeah yeah that's a good point but yeah so um yeah just on like those rules i mean i think that's like that was a key part for me with corello was not just you know getting an idea, getting excited and going for it. it was kind of trying to filter it through those kind of rules of like yeah. no two-sided markets and like definitely something that if only one person ever came and bought it, you know they could they could pay me money and they would be paying me at least thirty dollars a month recurring, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I just think, yeah, like you say, there's a lot of there's a lot of knowledge which is sort of encoded in that, like the you know just how hard it is to get even a hundred customers, never mind a thousand. So saying you're going to charge them five dollars a month is um. Yeah, it's sort of a, a recipe for pain, I think, somewhere yeah. down the line. Or not not always, like you say, but ninety nine percent of the time is gonna be a pain in the arse. Yeah. I think there's a there's a with the rules thing as well, there's a an element about I've often thought it would be nice to have a business where you didn't actually have to deal with your customers. <laughs> yeah. I know that's a, a terrible thing to say, but um and I think if you can if you can ha- if you had like a five dollar you know, a five dollar a month business, you might be talking about something like uh something which is consumer facing rather than um, yeah. rather than business facing and and then you you kind of really don't want to be hearing from your customers if you pay, if they're paying you 5 pound a month because no. as soon as that as soon as you've had a contact with somebody and spent the time dealing with them then you've pretty much lost that month you know and and more probably yeah so i don't know if there is a business out there where you can get away without actually responding you know to customers directly but that would be what you'd be looking for wouldn't it with that sort of amount yeah yeah absolutely and i mean your marketing channels need to be either hugely effective or shockingly cheap Mm. i mean even at um yeah sort of 40 dollars a month i think is my minimum plan and even at that rate and you know this is partly down to the fact that my conversion rates are poor and need to be improved but even at that i struggle to make um adwords and things like that work yeah um so at five dollars you know like any kind of paid marketing feels like it's out unless you've got a very cheap cheap route to it but yeah yeah yeah. so have you got any more rules 
No, that there was the only other one was kind of came about when with Corello really in the sort of first couple of months, which is that for me at least that sort of early group of customers um, were not actually customers; they were an early group of people who were interested in something roughly in the area of what I was building, and I needed to be talking to them a lot until I, you know, definitely had a product that was ready. I think this is sort of one of the things I. Um, realize this sort of every stage i was at i always assumed that the next stage was done and then sort of had the painful realization that it wasn't so when mm. i was sort of building and launching the prototype i kind of assumed that you know i'd already got to product market fit and these people were just going to turn up and buy it and you know I'd blah blah you know i'd be talking to them emails and getting you know feature requests and that kind of thing i didn't realize that i needed to spend two three weeks just on skype and going out and meeting people for coffee locally um and working out exactly what the problem was that they needed solving yeah. um yeah and that's sort of i think if i it build another business until i am absolutely rock solid on who my best customers are i'm not going to assume i need to do anything other than just talk to everyone who signs up for a trial and try and find out you know because they didn't read the website what did they think the software did before they signed in and were disappointed to find out that it didn't do that <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, like, yeah yeah um yeah, yeah. That it's, was uh, that was the last one, really. Yeah, it's it's an interesting um, difference between your product and, and mine in that mine is very much I get customers set up in the system and then hand it over to them and they um, and they get on with it. Whereas, so I have that conversation up front in terms of what it is they they want yeah. and need from it. Whereas you kind of have a um, they they onboard themselves effectively and then you have to catch up with them to find out what it was. Yeah, uh, it's interesting the difference. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so on that sort of sales process, what what have you settled on now? Because you were you were talking about it last year at MicroConf a little bit, mm. and um, you sort of, you know, you set a few things up, haven't you? But it must yeah. be fairly well bedded in now what you're doing. Yeah, you, so you've sort of optimized it pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, we say optimized. Um, I've got a, a bit of a process that they go through. It always varies a little bit, but generally I will call somebody or email somebody, and then if they express an interest, we'll just set up a demo and do a demo for half an hour, three quarters of an hour. And after that, sign them up basically so if they're interested then I'll just get them to say look well here's the information I need from you let's get you set up and into live and then once they're set up and into live they can have a play with the system and this yeah. is the point where usually I'll get a couple of feature requirements come out like oh we saw it with the demo and it looked perfect for what we needed but we've just realized we want this or we want that or we need that and then there's a bit of a negotiation over whether they can have that, you know, at all, or whether they um, we can get around it in some way, or whether they have to wait um, yeah. until it's available. And so at the moment, I've got like five or six even customers due to come on who are chomping at the bit, and every time I speak to them, they want to get ready. And then there's always a little another thing that they need. Yeah. Um, which is, I'm positive that they will come onto the system. It's just the the, the the problem of me getting the time to do these things for them in a timely manner so that I can keep them yeah. keep things moving, um, but yeah. So the pro so the process really is um, demo. So so they they find me somehow. Some I've had a few, starts again. I've had a few people click on the the link on the website to just book a demonstration straight away. Yeah. A few people have a chat with Drift, and then others I call, um, and then the the first step is the demo basically. Yeah. So what's your sort of stages you're tracking metrics through is it like sort of prospect yeah demo yeah so if somebody books a demo or or um ex expresses any kind of interest you know through a, a drift chat or whatever then i i count them as um as a lead yeah and then once i've had the demo with them if they're still interested then they become a prospect yeah and then from there it's there are prospects while we do the backwards and forwards and then once they've used the system and they're saying right we're ready to go to parents and start, get people to start booking then they're a customer yeah okay and you managing that like what are you managing all that with then well i've got a i use um the crm product called agile crm yeah which i just basically really at the moment i'm just using it as a contact manager to keep people in there and whenever i have a conversation with them i record that conversation in there as well just so i can come back to it and it's in one place okay but in terms of i don't they've got a deal flow thing in there as well which i don't really use i just use excel so okay. i just have a list of these people are customers this is how much they're paying these people are leads slash prospects yeah and i give them a percentage grade for how how much i think they're going to become customers 
how confident I am of whether they're going to become customers. Cool. And in sort of tradition of quality sales teams the world over, that percentage is pulled primarily out of your ass, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Good. So usually, if they've if they've not had a demo yet, then they're going to be less than thirty percent, depending on how whether whether I've had a conversation with them and okay. how they're feeling. And if they've had a demo and they've expressed an interest, then they're over fifty percent. Okay. And then if we've started to set them up, then they're sort of eighty to hundred percent. That sounds more scientific than sales teams I've <laughs> with, to be honest. You know, because I assume that maps to the likelihood of them actually converting to a customer at the end. Yeah, so if you've got yeah. um ten at thirty percent range, you know you expect to get three customers drop through from that. Yeah. So that's cool. It's difficult because it's low numbers really. You know? Yeah. Um but it is I use that sort of general guideline and then the actual number that they are is pulled out my ass, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you um, managing your time with that then? Because you've obviously got limited time with the freelancing at the moment. I'm not doing very well with that at the moment, to be honest. That's one of the biggest problems because the book a demo thing just allows them to book a demo anytime in my diary. Yeah. Um, I've, I get a few of those in, which can ruin a day of development work, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, so the, I've got three days a week doing the freelancing and then two work days, if you like. Um, yeah. So nine to five sort of, nine to six sort of days where I can do other stuff. And the problem I've got is that the existing customers that are on there, if they got a support issue, then I try and deal with that the same day. Yeah. And that means that that sometimes pushes the freelance work out to another time that I hadn't wanted to do freelance work, et cetera. And yeah. so I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of managing my time, which means that... The problem I have is doing marketing and sales is splattered all over those the time that I've got available. Yeah, and that in, that doesn't give me the two three hours I need to develop the features that I need to develop. Yeah, that rings very true with my experience actually in the early days, and still a, a bit now. You're very reactive to issues, you know, and when it, certainly when there's there's bugs in the software which you're going to get, mm. um, you really want to turn those around quickly for people. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if you've got other things, if people are booking meetings and stuff like that with you, then you, there's sort of that's also not optional. And suddenly, the amount of time you actually get in a day is is, is evaporated, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, you remember that stress. Yeah, uh, this is the problem. The problem I have is that the features that I've got to build for these customers, or, or most of them are actually just tweaks to features that are already there. They're not difficult, but I just need to get the time to sit down and do them. And and getting that time, that concert, you know, that concentrated time, is the problem. Yeah. So how how about you? What in terms of support and stuff like that? How do you manage all that? Um, so yes, yeah, so I had a sort of a similar attitude that if if something was reported, that was you know I generally went off and looked at that straight away um, and tried to get it resolved unless I was convinced it was you know genuinely and not not a big deal. Mm. Um, but for the most part, people would be sort of getting a you know a bug fix out you know within an hour or so if it was possible. Mm. Um, Currently, it's not too bad. The um, I've I spent the last six weeks working on fixing one bug. Effectively, <laughs> <laughs> all came down to a misunderstanding about how the Trello API works and how about how people use their Trello boards. So there's a few sort of edge cases I hadn't accounted for in one of the core parts of the code, which is it's one of those things. As you start scaling up and getting more people in, something that only affected you know one percent of people suddenly becomes a big enough problem that you have to go and solve it. Um, but during that time, I've not been pulled off too much on people reporting other issues. Mm. Um, so things have sort of quietened down on that side of things. And because it's it's a product that it's it's dashboarding reporting, it's not something that people are going in and adding data to and using a lot. You know, it's sort of click around and look at the charts, really. Yeah. So I feel like I don't get as many support requests as maybe other people would on, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Right. Um, so it's it's relatively quiet at the moment. But yeah, back in the day, I was getting a lot of a lot of that and that was always you know the priority that day and it just sort of meant that everything else dragged out yeah and i remember those weeks when i was doing a lot of talking to customers um it's sort of talking to customers and dealing with bug reports and you just sort of working really long days being completely knackered and yeah. feeling like your to-do list just got longer rather than shorter <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah in the last 12 hours yeah, yeah. so yeah. um yeah I, I remember all that <laughs> cool so We've been going on for a bit now, so I, I, I was wondering whether we should finish up with um, what didn't we expect that happens in the first couple of years that did yeah. happen. Um, I think we've talked a bit about it, but what, what sort of things did you did you find 
that uh, you didn't expect? Yeah, so I think the first is just how long everything took, really. Um, and like I say, that's partly naivety that I think I always assumed the next step was done in a sort of prior step. Yeah. So there's sort of like the sort of three phases I think I've been through is like that initial prototype, just sort of finding a problem to solve and then building that initial prototype. And I think I assumed then that I was at PM Fit, but then I was actually building the product market fit for another year or more after that, really, just mm. sort of constant cycle of getting the same request over and over again from people thinking, okay, that fits with my vision for what the product needs to be and, and sort of putting it in. And then, you know, I assumed then that the next stage was done where things would just start growing once I was at product market fit. But actually, I'm at this position where, you know, activation rates are really poor, churn's really high, you know, and it's now about building for growth, really. There's still a bit of bug fixing and a bit of sort of features I want to add. But my main focus at the moment, I think, needs to be really going and, um, you know, improving those activation rates, making sure that when people sign up, they see the value that they wanted to get from it straight away, um, which, you know, on a larger team, perhaps you would be attacking more consistently all the way through. Um, mm. But because of the pace I was trying to do things and it was just sort of like getting features out for people who'd been asking for them so that, you know, that you need to get the next next customer and the next sort of, you know, 10 people like them who come in, hopefully see that feature and, and use it. So um, I think that was sort of one of the surprises, you know, definitely if you'd, if you'd asked me, at the start, I think I would have told you that my plan was to be making at least a thousand pounds a month by July of 2015. So that would have been sort of six months of work, mm. and it took until um, sort of January 2016, I think January February before I was making that kind of money. Yeah. Um, possibly if I'd known that, maybe I would have given up. I don't know if I needed that, <laughs> that um, delusion to sort of keep me going. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think you had any thoughts on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the the biggest surprise uh, has been the amount of um, stress and kind of emotional involvement yeah. and the feeling of overwhelm that, that it can generate. Because previously, I'd never had lots of customers or, or any customers to, to deal with a, um, you know, a, a product that I, was, that I was doing. And and what I found is that even going through, I mean, I know this from the freelancing world and from my development experience that, that customers always want something else other than what you've given them. Um, but when I got the first two customers on um, and they were using the system, so I'd, I'd been very careful to make, go through the system with them and get them to test the system and make sure they were happy with everything. But of course, as soon as they then start to send it out to their customers and they start getting customers going through, a whole raft of problems and issues and things that they said this doesn't work the way it's supposed to work and that sort yeah. of thing comes in. And that creates an enormous amount of stress Yeah, because it's actually being used by people. So my products, you know, people book online for these clubs and pay for, you know, to pay by credit card or debit card or whatever. And, and so there's money involved. There are customers getting upset with my customers and my customers. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it, at the start, I would have thought, well, it's just code at the end of the day. I can fix stuff. Most stuff I can fix pretty easily, pretty quickly. Um, it's just code. It's not a problem. But when you're actually faced with it, it's it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, no, I think it definitely because your customers' customers are using your code. Yeah, it's got to be a lot more stressful um, because yeah, you. I mean, you absolutely can't make your customers look bad in front of their customers. Yeah, so that's, there's that's, issues. That's that's a lot more um, stressful than the alternative. For, yeah, for the most part, people using my stuff. It's just them using it. Yeah, they aren't sending things out to other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that I mean that was that was the, the big a big surprise for me, and, and the sorts of things that I worry about, you know, I I never thought I'd things like back backups and is the server up and things like that. I thought, well, I've got monitoring on there. I'll know when it's down and all the rest of it. But then, yeah. you know, touching wood, it hasn't gone down particularly. Um, but one time it did in the early days, and you're getting texts from customers and things, you know, and it's ten o'clock at night and the website's not working. What's gone wrong? You know. Um, yeah. And that that was that was my my fault, and I was actually working on it at the time, which is what caused this to go down. So that wasn't a problem; I could fix <laughs> it. But it, but you worry about that, you know. Yep. And 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 I thought I wouldn't worry about that as much as I do because I thought, well, there are monitoring tools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and at the end of the day, if if things go so bad, I'll just lose a customer and I won't have that money anymore. And that was my worst case scenario. But even though I know that, it still plays on my mind, you know. Yeah, sort of yeah. Thing. When you sort of book in holidays, I'm yeah. sort of always at the back of my mind thinking, what's the mobile reception going to be like there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's that sort of thing which, which I kind of knew would happen, but I didn't, I didn't put enough emphasis on it in terms of how stressful it would be. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's the main thing, really. Yeah, yeah I think sort of the um, emotional stress I went through in the first sort of 18 months, um, possibly a bit longer, was, was mainly around, you know, what the hell am I doing? Is this, you know, is this just a really naive plan Yeah, that I'm just going to waste a load of money that, you know, my family could use for something else? You know, mm. cause you've got sort of expanding family, you know, and sort of spent, you know, a a good chunk of money that could go towards a deposit on a larger house, you know, this kind of thing, or, you know, expanding this house, um, all the time having to live on, you know, not that much money every single week to sort of make, make the ends meet and yeah. no holidays or no fancy holidays, at least this kind of stuff. It was, um, you know, and that sort of at the back of your mind as you work in 12 hour days, um, trying to build this stuff is, is just extremely draining, really. And it's I mean, interesting. I mean, I've had nothing but support from um, my wife, Charlie, and um, friends and family and stuff like that, mm. which I'm, I don't know if you've got the same sort of experience. I don't Absolutely, think- yeah. I mean, they deserve a massive shout-out, I think, because um, the amount of times I've been grumpy, I've been working when I shouldn't be, really, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, just nothing but support from Silvana. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's impossible to do without that, them being even more delusional than <laughs> exactly <laughs> potential yeah um how but the hell yeah, have I, they got so much faith in me ah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, i remember in the early days of support like i started deliberately um stopping work before i was completely burnt out every single day which was my temptation was just keep on going and going and going but then the thing is some emergency problem comes in at 10 p.m mm. and you have to go and deal with it but you haven't got the energy to do anything anymore you yeah. know so i sort of tried to make sure that i was keeping a little bit of energy back for um, when issues came along, really. Mm, I think that's a good plan. I think that's something I don't do very well, um, partially because I'm not full-time on it, I guess. I, I find I need to make the most of every hour, and so I end up, you know, come Friday, I'm exhausted. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a good plan, if you can, I think, is to to try and make sure that you, you keep some time to yourself. Yeah, cool. Cool, excellent. Well, I think we've covered a lot, so yeah. Um, I'm sure we could go on for another hour. <laughs> yeah. But that's good. It's been great talking to you again. Yeah, likewise. I'm really pleased. Um, yeah, hopefully that... that's interesting to um, some people out there anyway who yeah, are I hope in so. that sort of early stage. I hope so, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, congratulations on Corello. It's doing really well. Thanks, yeah. And you're on Kids Club. Thank you very much. So it's, very much. I always thought it was a really um, solid, interesting idea. So it's good to see the, the proof of the pudding there, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hope so. It's. Uh, I, I'm still hedging my bets. It's not... Um, like I say, I'm not living the dream just yet, but I'm I'm fairly confident we'll get there. Yeah, you can see the bed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, great speech to you, Robin, and I'll uh, I'll speak to you soon. All right. Cheers, Martin. Cheers, Bye. Robin. Bye.